Mike Rags and Todd Burlidge with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Well, hello again, everyone. It is time for another edition of the Blue Gold Report. All staff accounted for now. I'm Mike Rags, back in the studio here with our good buddy Todd Burlidge from Blue Gold Illustrated, ready to break down some Notre Dame football and get you ready. And we get another week closer to training camp and, of course, the kickoff for the 2018 season. The Blue Gold Report podcast always brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. And as always, I ask you when you find us, you rate us and you like us and give us a review of this blue gold podcast lots to do today recruiting which just will not end even though it was a fourth of july weekend uh notre dame was active they got themselves a wide receiver they got themselves a quarterback to commit for 19 we'll talk about that Uh, how big is this season for brian kelly and can he finally stop the struggles against ranked teams uh right out of the gate might have his biggest game of the year against michigan we'll break that down a little bit for you and we're gonna have maybe the most important coach on the staff this year and that's the running back coach. Autry Denson had a press conference uh, and he's going to talk about his uh, stack of running backs and what they could have in store for us for 2018. We'll take a look at the running back situation towards the back end of the podcast. But as always, let's bring him in. He did the show solo and he did such an admirable job. It is our good buddy, Todd Burlidge <laughs> from uh, Head Writer for Blue Gold Illustrated for Notre Dame Sports. Todd, nice job last week, man. Hey, hey thanks, man. <laughs> Pulled it off somehow. Wow, miraculously. Somehow, someway. But now the, the gang's all here and we're ready to rock and roll. Either way, whether I'm here or not, uh, you've got to start each and every show off with your Blue Gold Nuggets. What do you got for us? Indeed. Let's start with some women's hoops. Arike Ogumbawale. The awards just continue, continue to pour in for her. This week, the ACC announced that she is the female, the Mary Gerber Female Athlete of the Year for the entire conference. So uh, a really nice award, prestigious award there for Ogun Bowale. Um, she already had, she was already an All-American. She was a Player of the Year semifinalist. Um, first team All-ACC, obviously. She was the Spokane Regional in the Final Four MVP. So, yes, yeah, uh, the awards just continue to pour in for her. She averaged 20.8 points per game this season, which is an Irish record. And she had 25 games with 20-plus points, also an Irish record. Uh, for the record... Louisville quarterback Lamar Jackson took the men's award home. Moving on to a little football, C.J. Holmes, the running back who was dismissed after the shoplifting charge, um, he has landed at Penn State. There was some talk that he might walk on at Notre Dame, try to earn his scholarship back. Not going to be the case. He ends up walking on at Penn State. He'll have to sit out this 2018 season. He'll probably end up earning a scholarship, but at least for his first year, he's going to be a walk-on uh, so we wish him well. He's only a sophomore. Again, he'll sit out this year, but then he'll have three years of eligibility. So he's going to try to make his comeback in Happy Valley. Uh, his younger sister, Alexis, runs track at Penn State. So that was probably part of the poll for him. Men's hoop, Martinus Gavin, uh, 6'10", 255 pounds. He signed a multi-year deal with a team in Lithuania, his home country. Zalgiris Kanaus. Let's let's go with that. Let's run with that. Um He's done a lot. He's played a lot with his home country team. You know, he led Lithuania to a gold medal, helped lead Lithuania to a gold medal in the World University Games. I was, I think that was last year. Um, as a, earlier in his career, he did some youth league stuff uh, for his country in Lithuania. Uh, he averaged this year in a bust-out season for Notre Dame, 11.1 points, 8 rebounds, 
1.2 assists, and in my opinion, he was the team MVP when you look at all the injuries that happen around him. So we wish him luck. Some people thought he might have an NBA career, potentially rags, but uh, he probably made the right choice right here. All sports, the Learfield Directors' Cup standings are out. The final standings, as usual, Stanford won it. Notre Dame finished 22nd this year. They were 21st last year. I thought I thought they'd do a little bit better than that with a couple national championships in the fencing and uh, the women's hoops and whatnot, but that was not the case. Notre Dame was sandwiched in between number 21, Virginia, and number 23, Wisconsin. Uh, rounding out the top five again, Stanford won it, as as they always do. They have four national champions, actually, men's soccer, women's soccer, women's swimming, and women's tennis. Uh, UCLA was second, Florida third, USC fourth, and Texas came in fifth. And those are your blue gold nuggets. Good stuff, as always. I wish I had an extra one. I don't have one this week. I had an extra week off, but I didn't come up with one. My apologies for that. Uh, <laughs> later on in the show, we're going to hear from Autry Denson, the running back running back coach, former uh, player at Notre Dame, uh, now in charge of the uh running back staff and uh you know in our ongoing week by week uh opponent preview we're going to break down Syracuse's football team and uh could present a bit of a challenge for the defense we'll talk about that in a bit but uh let's talk about recruiting here Todd it just it won't stop and uh, they needed a wide receiver they needed a quarterback for the 19 class and uh 4th of July week they were able to hook themselves up with a couple yeah, it shows you how much I know. I, last week's show, I said, well, or a couple weeks ago, the dead period had arrived in recruiting where the coaches can't contact the players. I thought, okay, well, it's going to slow down here for the next month until the coaches can get, get a hold of these kids again. Um, but that is not the case. Actually, there's also a 2020 commit I'll talk about here in a second. But let's start with these 19 guys. Uh, Cam Hart, 6'3", 190-pound wide receiver. First wide receiver in the class. He's a three-star guy. Um, he's from Olney, Maryland, uh, Good Council High School. Last year as a junior, 33 receptions, 540 yards, 5 TDs. Um, he also, he, he's a versatile. Some some of the recruiting sites have him listed as an athlete because he's a gifted defensive back as well. He had 31 total tackles there. So be interesting to see what Notre Dame decides to do with him. Uh, also chasing Cam Hart down were Virginia Tech, Michigan State, Virginia, West Virginia, and Duke, uh, just to name a few. So again, first wide receiver in this class, uh, 2019. Good size. You like that? Six three hundred ninety five hundred ninety pounds. That certainly sticks out. Also, Notre Dame needed a quarterback in this class, and they fill a void with a gentleman by the name of Brendan Clark. He's six two two ten, so another good sized kid. If you remember, Notre Dame originally had a guy by the name of Cade McNamara. Uh, he was uh, he was recruited or recruited. He was verbally committed to Notre Dame. He ended up flying the coop and going to Michigan. Uh, so there, indeed, there was a void here. Clark is from. Midlothian, Virginia, out of Manchester High School. He was the MVP of this Elite 11 quarterback competition. Um, obviously, he has a lot of confidence in himself because when he arrives in the next year, 2019, there's a really good chance that Wimbush, Ian Book, Avery Davis, and Phil Jerkovich will all still be here. So it's already a, co- a crowded quarterback room, but uh, Brendan Clark thinks he can bust through. Um, as a junior, he threw for 28 touchdowns with only four interceptions. Um, he's a three-star rated guy, according to 247 Sports, and uh, they also have him as the number 22 pro-style quarterback in the country. Uh, and for what interesting it's worth, about him, uh, mm-hmm. because this isn't something we've seen really too much, 
with uh, Brian Kelly. He is a pure pocket passer, strong arm kind of kid. He's not these guys that are running around out of the pocket. He's one of those Ben Roethlisberger, big guys in the pocket, although Ben does uh, he does improvise a lot. This is a big kid who's going to stand in the pocket with a big arm. Yeah, for sure. He was originally committed to Wake Forest. Actually, he was a very firm commitment for Wake Forest all the way back to last summer. Um, but when he had a, kind of a breakout junior year, so the offers started coming into some more powerful programs. So that's why he chose Notre Dame. Uh, chose Notre Dame, actually, his top two. He, he kind of had a short list of three. Uh, the other two schools were Clemson and North Carolina. So a, a good get for Notre Dame. And what now, I hear, too, Todd, I mean to cut you off, but is uh, a lot of the everything I'm reading, a lot of the credit go is going to Tommy Reese for, yeah. for tracking this kid down and making sure he actually committed here. Uh, so, uh, you know, a new hire last year for a quarterback staff. Now he's doing his job recruiting. If, if this pans out, uh, it'll track back to Tom Reese. Yeah, for sure. I know that Chip Long was very involved. They really wanted this kid. They pulled out all the stops when it came to the recruitment of of Brendan Clark, and you can kind of see why. I watched some of the videos online of him, and you're right. He's a nice player, a big arm for sure, so we'll have to see how he fits in uh, when the time comes. But uh, certainly, like you said, a little bit of a different style than what we're used to seeing under Brian Kelly. So those are when you're talking about uh, when you're talking about Hart and Clark – that brings this class up to 17 recruits. It also moved the class ranking up two spots. Um, they leapfrogged over Ohio State and Oregon to the number six spot now in the 2019 class of 2019 recruiting rankings. I'll go ahead and give you the top five. They're running ahead of Notre Dame right now. Number one, Alabama. Number two, Texas A&M. Number three, Michigan. Number four, LSU. And number five, Oklahoma. Um, I mentioned a 2020 get, and this is another good get. It's a tight end, and this guy is a star. He's a four-star uh, tight end, 6'5", 240, junior-to-be rags. <laughs> Michael Meyer, 6'5", 240 already. Good grief. Uh, Park Hills, Kentucky, Covington Catholic. Listen to these powerful schools that were after his services. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Penn State, Texas, just to name a few. What's interesting is this class of 2020 has three players. Uh, two of them are tight ends, and they're, two, and they're rated as the number two tight end, which is Meyer in the country, and the number three tight end in the country, Kevin Bowman. Um, so two of the best tight ends out there, part of this 2020 class, along with four-star quarterback Drew Pine. So Notre Dame continues to be tight end university, or is it returning to that um, that title anyways? So another good get for the 2020 class, Rags. And uh, it looks like if you're if you're keeping track of the opening event in Dallas, which is this recruiting kind of showcase, uh, some people are, some people aren't. But uh, keep an eye on this recruit, Kyle Hamilton, a safety uh, who's actually uh, piqued some interest and and really showed off at this opening event. Yeah, Notre Dame wasn't didn't have a lot of representation. They had about six prospects they were trying to chase down that are uncommitted. They had a couple guys there, but. Kyle Hamilton, the safety, he probably he may have been considered the MVP of this opening. Let's see here. I have some of the stats. What? Well, he's actually named to the, they have this dream team that they named yeah. for the, for this kind of like a first team, uh, and and it's, it looks a lot like the combine. Uh, if 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 you haven't ever seen what they're doing here, more, a little more one on one kind of action though. Uh, if you get, if you get a chance, take take a look at it. Some of the films kind of interesting. Yeah, this kid's out of Atlanta, Georgia, Kyle Hamilton. He had three interceptions, five pass breakouts, breakups for the week. He was all over the field, a lot of tackles and whatnot. It, it really was a nice showing for him. He's only a three-star guy, but after this, after his showing at the opening here in Dallas, 
A lot of folks say he's going to jump right up to a four-star. He's rated as the number 56 prospect in the state of Georgia um, and the number 26 safety. But I think, again, expect those numbers to rise after what he did. You know, it's interesting because a three-star guy rated as the number 26 safety. I mean, listen to this list of teams that, that wanted his services. Auburn, Clemson, Florida State, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, Ohio State, Stanford. So maybe these coaches see something in Hamilton more so than what the recruiting analysts do when you look at that. Uh, he's a 6'388 pounder, so he's a big kid for sure. Uh, he committed all the way to, back uh, to Notre Dame on April 24th, and he certainly seems like a firm commitment. He sounds like he's going to be a great player based on this weekend. All right, that looks good. Uh, let's let, let's look more towards the 2018 season here. We're going to break down Syracuse, uh, their third opponent of the year, in just a second. Also hear from Autry Denson, the uh, running backs coach. Uh, look, one of Brian Kelly's the biggest struggles he's had at his tenure here, not only, in my opinion, developing a quarterback, uh, but is winning the so-called big games against ranked teams. And, you know, it's really interesting because this year, Notre Dame-Michigan, first game of the year, I mean, I think it might be a little bit bigger game for Harbaugh and everybody in Ann Arbor, but uh, this right out of the gate is one of those show-me games for Brian Kelly, and, and if you take a closer look at his struggles, they're real. They're real, Todd. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, if you go back, and so I was kind of thinking, how do you really define big game? I suppose the one benchmark right is, is against ranked opponents, I think is probably the best you can do. Um, in 2012, the undefeated regular season, Notre Dame beat four ranked teams uh, during that regular season. So things were looking up. But since then, since the 2012 season, Notre Dame's only 7-14 and 14 against top 25 teams in, in the 21 tries since. And since Brian Kelly arrived here eight seasons ago, He's 13 and 17 in his 30 games against ranked teams. So that's not exactly the stuff of legends there. So I kind of tried to take it one step further and, and seeing, okay, just who has he beaten? So, you know, first of all, for comparison's sake, this probably is not fair to do to Brian Kelly, but uh, <laughs> Lou Holtz played 53 ranked opponents during his 11 seasons here. He went 31, 20, and 2 in those games, including a 12 and 8 mark, 12 and 8 against top five teams. So uh, not not too shabby there. Brian Kelly for his entire career, for what it's worth, is zero and three. That includes that includes his entire coaching career. So he's not had a lot of a lot of shots at top five opponents, but he has eight wins. He has eight wins over top fifteen teams while he's here. Uh, number fifteen Utah in two thousand ten. Number fifteen Michigan State two thousand eleven. Michigan State number ten again in two thousand twelve. Uh, number eight Oklahoma in two thousand twelve. Number fourteen Stanford in two thousand fourteen. Number 14, Georgia Tech in 2015, and then USC and NC State last year. Both of those were in the top 15. But of those eight I just listed, only only USC from last year finished in the top 10 in the final 8P poll, which is kind of interesting. Four of those eight I mentioned were completely out of the poll by season's end. So it's kind of trying to think, well, what are Brian Kelly's marquee wins? I, I'm going to save what I consider the best one for last. Um, it was mentioned in that list. Um, but... Here's what it came up with. Notre Dame beat number 10 Michigan State 20-3 to um, early in the 2012 season. That seemed like a good candidate for to be Brian Kelly's perhaps marquee win. Well, then the Spartans went on to lose five of their next nine games and finish 7-6 and six that season. Um, when Brian Kelly beat USC 20-16 to in 2010, that was his first season, uh, it snapped an eight-game losing streak to the Trojans, so that seemed like perhaps something uh, to hang his hat on. But Matt Barkley was hurt, the USC quarterback was hurt and out for that, and USC was unranked. 
um, came into that game seven and four. So as it turned out, that didn't end up being the, the marquee win you might have thought it was. Another one against USC, twenty two thirteen win in two thousand twelve. Um, that again, that's notable because it did cap the re- the perfect regular season for Notre Dame and sent them to the national championship game. But again, that USC team was unranked. So I, I you know, did like that, that Oklahoma win on the road. I, I think that's the one you're going to get to later. But that year, that's the to me that was his biggest win. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. And uh, this one was kind of interesting because Brian Kelly beat. Michigan State in 2013, 17-13, and that was a home game for Notre Dame. Well, that loss ended up, again, Michigan State was unranked, but that loss ended up the only defeat of the season for Michigan State. They finished number three in the AP poll, so that was kind of interesting. Um, As rookie skipper in 2010, Kelly ended a 10-game losing streak for Notre Dame against against, with a 28-3 victory over number 15, Utah. If you remember, that was a huge win because it was coming on the heels of that really rough time in the program. The Declan Sullivan deal where, where the, when he fell off the scissor lift, they had lost two straight, one to Navy and one to Tulsa. So the program was really in the dumps. They came out and played well and beat number 15 Utah. And that sparked a four-game winning streak uh, to end the season and kind of got the program back on track. I mentioned last year, I liked that win over USC last year. Um, it, it was a blowout for Notre Dame, 49-14. USC was ranked 11. Notre Dame was ranked 13. Um, it was the most points scored against the Trojans in 40 years, um, and USC went on to finish number eight in the country, and Notre Dame number 11. So that's that was a big that was a big win as well. And the last two rags, I had to put the LSU bowl yeah, game in there. I know you're a big no, fan of that game. Number 16 LSU for sure, because it was the first New Year's Day bowl win for Notre Dame since 1994, and they played well, 21-17. It didn't qualify as a top 15 win because again the Tigers were number 16. Uh, but indeed, uh, it was still one of Brian Kelly's signature wins. And you called it easily, easily the number one win since Brian Kelly's been here. A 12-point underdog at Oklahoma. And Notre Dame comes away with a 30-13 win. Oklahoma had won 79 of its previous 83 home games, Rags. Yeah. Uh, so certainly when you talk about Brian Kelly's list of marquee wins, that one that one certainly outdoes all the rest. Well, unfortunately, there's been a plethora of marquee losses, even going back to the Alabama game, obviously. But I just keep going back to 2014 when they were undefeated and lost to Florida State, the pass interference that was or wasn't. And then even after that game, you think, all right, regroup. They struggled against Navy the next week and then lost. Lost to Arizona State on the road and just got really, you know, whitewashed in that game and and never. Well, they did win that LSU game, that bowl game. That's why I'm not big on that Music City Bowl because they went on to lose four straight games that year. And yeah, you know, that's that game right there. Those those two games bothered me a lot. And then you go back to the uh, to the back to back losses to Stanford. Uh, you know, on Thanksgiving weekend, yeah. and then uh, what was that? Uh, Fifteen, right? And then they lost the bowl game to Ohio State. Um, I just feel it feels like the marquee losses, obvious. The marquee wins. Let's dig a little, and it's kind yeah. of you know, and and that's worrisome. And to me, it's the the uh, fall off the cliff losses that after they lose that game and they're not in it anymore. See you later, sayonara. Oh, let's not do anything else the rest of the year, and that that. That leads to November losses, and I can't stand November losses. Yeah, and again, thirteen and seventeen against top twenty-five opponents. I think that sums it up. And you're talking, and when you weigh weigh that record on the one side, thirteen and seventeen against the top twenty-five versus these treacherous losses we're talking about that just come out of nowhere. Yeah, um, I mean, just look at the 2016 season for Crowley's sake. There's a long list of for that particular year, um, but yeah, the these sort of upset. 
upset losses. They, they sneak up on you a heck of a lot more frequently than any kind of marquee wins. That, no doubt about it. And we'll see what happens right out of the gate here. I mean, like I said, uh, Michigan, it, it's really, uh, it's, it reminds me of those early Michigan State games. Remember when they, you know, when they beat that Michigan State team and, and then D'Antoni and the team just fell off the face of the earth. Uh, yeah, it just one you wonder if will it happen in in this game against Michigan because you know Harbaugh's tenure there is is a little sketchy right now on what's going to happen at Michigan. And then you also look at BK. You don't want to start out zero and one there. So it's a very intriguing game right off yeah. the bat. And we look at their you know uh, uh, opponent in the Orange uh, Syracuse. They got a pretty high-powered offense here with uh, Dungy out of Oregon uh, in his third year, I believe, um, as, as a starter, and he can sling the ball around the field. This, you know, it it should be win, and their defense is is their strength. But uh, I'm a, I'm a little worried about this game, Todd. Am I out of line? Uh, you know, it's an interest. There's some interesting dynamics to it. I, I consider Syracuse the third easiest game on the schedule. Yeah, they played no, November 17th at Yankee Stadium. This is supposed to be a home game for Notre Dame. It was kind of interesting because Jack Warbrick and the administrators, instead of letting Brian Kelly get a break here, because first of all, let me back up a little bit. This game is sandwiched in between Florida State and USC in the season finale. So Brian Kelly really appreciated the fact that he was going to have a home game, didn't have to do any traveling here. And now all of a sudden he has to go to Yankee Stadium one week and then all the way out to USC the following week. So he wasn't too thrilled about it. He kind of bit his tongue and didn't say too much about it. But it was pretty obvious he didn't really appreciate having to do all that travel when it really wasn't necessary. This is a Notre Dame home game, but they're going to uh, they're gonna be, revive the Shamrock Series in this one. The most recent meeting um, was in 2016, um, six days after Brian Van Gorder was fired. Uh, Notre Dame won a 50-33 shootout at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. Notre Dame rolled up 654 yards of offense in that. Uh, Kaiser threw for 471 and three touchdowns. You mentioned Eric Dungy. He threw for 489 in the game, and uh, he completed 31 of 51 tosses, um, two touchdowns, and had another 49 yards on the ground and three rushing TDs. Notre Dame could not contain him. Um, Third straight meeting at a neutral site, the last one being held at MetLife also. The most recent encounter on a home field, not at a neutral site, and I remember this one well, is when Syracuse came up here and beat Notre Dame 24-23. That was the infamous snowball game where the crowd was so antsy and so ticked off they started throwing snowballs at the at the Irish players. And it was so cold that Manti Teo was here on a recruiting trip. trip. He had to leave the game early to get over to the recruiting lounge and, and warm up. <laughs> so kind of interesting <laughs> to look back on that. Uh, Syracuse finished last year 4-8. and eight. Um, They were upset at home by Middle Tennessee State in the second game of the season. But if you remember, Syracuse came back and actually beat number 2 Clemson on yep. a Friday night at the Carrier Dome, 27-24. I'd kind of forgotten about that. Uh, it improved the Orange to 4-3 and three at the time and seemed like a breakthrough game for second-year head coach Dino Babers. Didn't turn out to be the didn't turn out to be the case at all. Syracuse lost its final five to, uh, games of the season and allowed 43.2 points per game. Their defense is lousy. And if yeah. you think Notre Dame's field tank was on E uh, in November, check this out. Syracuse was even worse. Here are their last three losses. Uh, they lost 64-43, 56-10, and 42-14. Wake Forest, Louisville, and Boston College, respectively. Uh, and during that five-game losing streak to end the season, again, Syracuse allowed 43.2 points a game. Um, so not very good. 
Um, Dungy, he's passed for 6,472 yards and rushed for another 1,200 during his career here. He's not been able to stay healthy, so he was even uh, recovering from foot surgery during the spring. Uh, their defense is lousy. They have to replace a lot of defensive players. Maybe that's the good news for them, to be honest with you. They, they only forced 12 turnovers last year, and they were 122nd in turnover margin. So they're built around their offense. They did lose a couple good players on offense, but uh, certainly, you know, that's this is what they do. They ran 86 plays per game last year, Rags. It's the, it's, it was the number one in the country when it comes to number of offensive plays run. So now remember um, too, a, uh, we, we poo pooed their defense a little bit, but they mm-hmm. do have a monster up front in that kid. Uh, it was a Chris Slayton. He's a defensive end, six, four, three twenty. He knocked out, uh, Kelly yeah. Bryant of that Clemson game. He leads their team in, uh, in uh, game start and tackles for a loss. So he is a monster up front, but they do tend to give up some points. And I, I remember Dungey in my one year out in, uh, in uh, Oregon. He's from Lake Oswego, just close to Portland. He was a big deal out there. Uh, he set like 12 school records at his head. He's just, like you said, he's just never been able to stay healthy last year. I think he only played like nine games. So uh, that's been his issue is staying on the field. And maybe that's because his offensive line has him running around all over the place. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they're not really expecting big things from Syracuse. I mentioned Ball State. They were picked to finish last in their division in uh, MAC. And then Vanderbilt last year was picked last to finish in uh, and last in their division in the SEC. And the same is going to hold true for Syracuse in their division in the ACC. It's just this travel dynamic, Rags, again, yeah. sandwiched in between Florida State and USC. And also because they moved this game to Yankee Stadium. It, it also means that Notre Dame in November struggles. We've talked about at length. Notre Dame now, now has to play four road games in its last five weeks to close this season. This, that was really not fair for Jack Swarbrick to put this on Brian Kelly. It, it really wasn't. And so we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. I think that's certainly going to be something worth watching. It's not a night game, as the Shamrock Series games typically are. It'll be a day game, so at least they won't have that sort of residual jet hangover uh coming back they should get back at a reasonable hour but all the same you know they have to fly all the way out out to, to usc the following weekend so it's, it's it's really putting a lot on brian kelly but certainly you would think they would able to be able to get this done although it does feel a little bit like perhaps one of those goofy upset games doesn't it rags it sure does you know they need to take a page out of the nick saban handbook and have one more like a bye week in between and play yeah. north appalachian state tech institute of uh, you know dance and just get that one game before the last game of the season against usc but it is what it is uh it will be a home it's interesting syracuse you think proximity wise to to new york stadium i i honestly think it'll still be a notre dame home game as far as just crowd noise oh, sure. and all that stuff that 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 will be, but it's the dynamic of all right, you know, going down to Florida, then going up to New York, and then over to to California. That is a, a bit of a you know a, a B word if you if you could say it nicely. Yeah, I mean, because Florida State's going to be really good. And we know USC is going to be really good, so uh, definitely a tough challenge here as Notre Dame continues to talk about how they want to play better in November. Yep, no doubt about it. And uh, so we've we've gotten three teams under your belt. Uh, let's recap. The, 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 can you do that off the top of your head here? The three as we go upwards towards the the, the stiffest competition. Yeah, it's, it's from worst to first is what we're doing. Uh, so I, I considered Ball State the twelfth, uh, the easiest game on Notre Dame's schedule. Then I thought Vanderbilt was second to Ball State. And then I have Syracuse as the third easiest game in the schedule. I think you could really flip a coin between Syracuse and Vanderbilt, to be honest with you. But I, in my opinion, these are these should be the three gimmies on the schedule. 
everything else coming up, I think I really think are going to be tough games. I mean, you could look at it this way: Who the hell wants to play in the Carrier Dome as opposed to Yankee Stadium, right? I mean, yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. And is it that much farther? It's. I mean, I guess Syracuse and New York are miles apart, but you know what I mean. It's like we could be just nitpicking a little bit, and it's not like these guys travel on uh, school buses to get to these <laughs> games anymore, Todd. Right. So yeah, it, you're. You know, you're. Oh, it's an overnighter though, so it you know, is. You're, uh, you're away from your comforts of home, and I, I think that counts for something. It does. I'm, I don't. I don't wanna... think. You know. I don't know because I, I always kind of when guys have to do so much travel, I. I sort of worry about the nutrition because these guys really are fed well and they have access to all kinds of great foods 24-7, and that's that's just not the case when it comes to these road trips. All right, Todd. Uh, it was interesting because uh, the, the the most dynamic and uh, you know I guess the biggest question mark on on this team is the running back situation and and all all the fluctuation that's been going on with this team. Yeah. Uh, set this up now with Audrey Denson uh, talking about you know his core running backs that he's going to be working with this year. Well, it's it is it's it's in a very intriguing position group because. For a variety of reasons. First of all, obviously, with C.J. Holmes and Deion McIntosh getting kicked off the team, and Josh Adams heading to the NFL early, you know you have a lot, you have a lot of inexperienced guys in this running back room. Um, the only two guys with any carries are Dexter Williams. He had 39 carries for 360 yards with four TDs, and Tony Jones Jr. 44 carries, 232 yards with three TDs. There seems to be where there's smoke, there's fire on this Dexter Williams suspended to start the season thing, and I honestly think it's going to happen. Brian Kelly's been asked about it, and he dances around that subject like crazy. (laughs) So uh, most of what I'm hearing is the first four games. So now you're looking at Tony Jones Jr. as the only player with any real carries in this entire unit. You also have Jafar Armstrong and Avery Davis. Avery Davis is obviously the third-string quarterback. He's been working at running back and wide receiver. He's been cross-training, as has Jafar Armstrong, another wide receiver who's been cross-training at running back. And then you have Jameer Smith also in the room. He's a true freshman. So while you're expecting Williams and John Jones Jr. to kind of carry the load on this, with Williams out, they're going to have to find somebody else, and it's going to be interesting to see. So Autry Denson was asked, kind of break all this down. What, what do you expect from these new guys? Are they going to be ready to go? What are the expectations? And this is a pretty interesting interview, Rex. Let's pop it in. Uh, the good thing about uh, what we've uh, done here, man, is we've trained a culture. So our culture doesn't change, even though our players do. So the expectations are uh, still where they are. The guys still are uh, knowing where they need to be. And uh, the goal is always to uh, strive to exceed expectations. So nothing has changed from a culture standpoint and an expectation standpoint. All that's happened is uh, those two guys, uh, along with Jameer Smith, are getting more opportunities to go out and uh, play. Such a volatile position. I mean, it, it's it's a rare year where you're not going to get a guy to miss a game or something. Yeah. That do you have to adjust at all because half of your room is going to be complete rookies going in, and, and you might need them sooner rather than later. You know what? Uh, every year you need them all. Uh, you you need every last one of them because, like you say, I mean, you have an ankle here, a, a, a groin tweak here, so we need them all. So the preparation is the same, man. Getting them all ready to go. Again, I, I've said this before. There's no way to prepare to be number two. So every one of those guys has the mindset from a preparation standpoint that he's preparing to be the starter so that when his opportunity comes about, he's ready to take advantage of it. What have you seen from Jameer, just to start off with the, with the young guy in the room? Uh, just uh, young. Uh, <laughs> young, uh, physical, big kid, man. And uh, just 
retaining information really good, really fast at a fast rate. So that's very encouraging uh, because, as you said, man, uh, right now, every one of those guys we're relying on to play. So he's doing a great job retaining information, a great job of just going out and playing football and trusting the process right now. I think the last one, last one for me, every year, young guys, pass protection seems to be the issue. Is, is it just they don't do it as much in high school, or is it a, is it a playbook situation where you have to know where it's coming from? That's a little bit of both. Uh, being trained to do it, you know, when you're in high school, usually these guys are the best player on their team. So, you know, they aren't called to block a whole lot. They usually uh, have, have the ball in their hands, you know, one way or the other. So uh, it's, uh, it's that, and then it's also just uh, our playbook is a lot bigger. So understanding where you fit into the protections and when the protections are called, you know, so that just takes repetition. Audrey, what are your thoughts on Shafar Armstrong, and how much do you have him during a typical practice? You know what, Jafar right now, uh, you've been seeing him go between running back and seeing him play receiver. He's a big, physical, strong, uh, you know, young man. If I, if I can plug right here, man, I hope I can get him in my room full time. So uh, I'm putting a plug in right now. Uh, I would love to have Jafar in the room. You heard it here first. But uh, just we're doing a we, – we, on offense, you've kind of heard us you, – you've kind of alluded to the fact that there are some new faces. So what that creates for us as a uh, offensive staff is we're doing a good job of, you know, trying to figure out how those pieces work together and putting guys in different situations to see how they respond so that when we come back in the summer and move forward to the fall, you have a good idea of how that uh, – how all those puzzles – all those puzzles are going to come together to make that, uh, that perfect picture. The fact that it sounds like he can play both and what we've seen, it looks like that, too. Does that give you some versatility in terms of formations and play calls and things of that nature? It does. And when you say that, I wanted to, I intentionally, you saw my smile, right? The fact that he can play both, you know, hint word on more running back. So let's keep plugging. Now I'm just playing. But uh, the fact that he can play both, you can never have uh, too many guys that can play multiple positions, right? We run a spread offense. It's about getting the best five guys on the field from those skill positions and just trying to uh, threaten the defense with uh, the best players as possible. So that's a bonus to us as an offensive unit. When, when you guys decided to give him a try at running back, I mean, did you kind of see that in him last year? kind of like maybe with C.J. Procise, or is it just you plug him in, you go, wow, I'm not sure that I was expecting that. No, you saw it. You saw it from the time he got here. I mean, he has big, strong hands. He can catch uh, really well at receiver, natural uh, catcher. Then with with the ball in his hands, he's just a very strong runner. So uh, you you saw it from the time he walked on campus. Coach, uh, sticking with the cross-training, concept. Uh, Avery Davis, is he getting reps carrying the ball? Or how, how is that all unfolding? What are you doing with him? Right now, uh, again, we're just uh, – we're using the springs just to see, you know, to, to basically see what guys – to put guys in position to use their God-given ability. And uh, Avery can run. He can throw. We know he knows the position from a quarterback standpoint. He can catch pretty well. So we're just really just trying to see what this offense is going to look like in regards to the different talent sets and the skill sets that we have available to us. And the same, does that go for Tariq Gracie or uh, anybody else that might be thrown – you know what? I can't speak. That's above my pay grade. So I'm going to stay right here at the front of it. I'm going to deal with the guys that's in the room right now. But uh, that'll be a great question for Chip Long, man. You need to write that down. Patrick, <laughs> <laughs> Tony and, and uh, Dexter last year probably had some high expectations. Things didn't work out. Now's their time. Have you seen them, their mentality change? Uh, you know, anything different about them heading into this year? 
Yeah, they're a year older. And uh, as you said, they've gone through some adversity. I mean, I believe everything happens for a reason. You know, we were afforded a luxury last year for those guys. It wasn't a luxury for them, but we were afforded a luxury that when they went down, we were still able to pick up and run with it. Uh, they know how to respond to adversity now. They've been through it, you know. So uh, they're a year older, they're a year more mature, and you can see it in their preparation. You can see it uh, the way they attack the weight room. And uh, uh, we've talked about a lot of purposeful preparation in our room, you know preparing for, you know, to play late into the season. You know, these aren't just spring reps. So I think what you're seeing with those guys is because they have that experience now, they're preparing with that intentionality. I think Dexter probably felt like he could play more and he averaging nine yards a carry. How do you tell the guy, look, you know, we, we got to play within the system and with what we can do? Just say, hey, man, we got to play within, within the system and we got to do what we got to do. Yeah. How, <laughs> much do Audrey, how much did injuries curtail his ability to get on the practice field and, and prepare for games. I mean, obviously, if you look at Dexter, I mean, he's an explosive speed is his game, right? And uh, he had a high ankle sprain, so obviously that's the most limiting the most limiting ankle sprain you can have. I mean, it's it's the worst you can get. So from a speed standpoint, I mean, it was something that took away from his, just the, his natural game. Did you, you ever have a high ankle sprain when you were playing here? Not when I was playing here. How would you describe Jameer Smith's uh, skill set? Big physical back, uh, kind of a cross between uh, speed and power. Uh, catches the ball a lot better than I thought he would and uh, retains information really well. So very smart. His, his academic IQ and his football IQ are marrying up pretty well. I ask you about that because on Saturday when we were here, I mean, he seemed to be – not every early entry freshman can be in the mix running with mm -hmm. the first and second teams. And it, it looks like he has a good uh, – knowledge base of what you're trying to do. Yeah, he's doing a good job right now. I'm uh, very happy with where he is. What's the key to keeping running backs healthy throughout the season? Yep. Seems like throughout, not just here, but everywhere, it's just always someone. Man, we going to put them in like this glass bubble? and just run them down the field, that's probably the key. But uh, it's just really just uh, getting guys – it starts in offseason, you know, getting guys to prepare. And uh, you got to be blessed too, man. Football is a violent sport. I mean, sometimes you can do everything you need to do and it just does not work out. So you just got to be blessed, man, to be able to stay healthy and uh, as, a, as a unit and as a team. You know, it's, 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 it's a physical game. What, what are some examples of um, Dexter and Tony just being more maybe – Sure, I guess I, don't, I think that was where you said yeah. from last year. Uh, a perfect example is just uh, having awareness of what's going on in practice. You know, knowing when to spell each other, knowing when you know what Tony's going to take four this time. Maybe I'm going to take three, and just kind of playing off of each other in the ebbs and flows of practice. You know, without me having to tell them. You know, watching them go up and correct Jameer Smith before I can even get to him because they're seeing the game. You know, from the same perspective as I am. So things like that, you see the the, the mental maturity, and you see it playing out in them from a standpoint of they're just playing they're not thinking anymore with, with Dexter being much leaner this spring physically what does that allow him to do differently and why was that a good call for him you know I don't he did not intentionally do that so I'm not gonna sit here and say we sat down and had like this master plan I mean if, if it sounds good I'll, I'll say that but uh we no, we didn't like plan it out I just think he was working his tail off man and uh you know he was working his tail off and he cut some weight and you know, uh, he's just out there playing. He's still a big, strong young man. I mean, he went down. He was at 215, and he's like 195. So he's still not a small guy, but he is leaner. So. Is, is Jameer wearing 34 and Tony wearing 6 as confusing to you as this does to me? <laughs> it is not because I see him all the time. But it's funny because Dexter started in 34. Uh -huh. Tony then had 34, and now Jameer has it. So, man, I'm, 
I'm hoping, man, we can continue that run right now of guys that, uh, you know, can come in, contribute, and just, you know, start playing right away. What does Dexter need to do to kind of embrace a, a bigger role and, and be able to be relied on maybe more consistently than he has sometimes? Just do what he's doing right now. Come to work every day. Take it one day at a time. We can't get to Saturday before Friday. We can't get to Friday before. Just come to work every day and clock in. And what does Tony do that maybe sets him apart from the other guys in the group um, in terms of differences? Uh, he never smiles. He's like the angry man in the room. No, I was just playing out. No, Tony's just – I tell you, the, 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 when we recruit guys, here's the uh, – here, it's with intentionality. So you want guys that bring different skill sets. You want a variety of different skill sets. So together, with all of them playing and contributing, you get everything you need covered. So uh, just different guys, and we're blessed to have a variety of different skill sets. Uh, I challenge him the way I was challenged when I was here, you know, and fumbling is a lack of courage. None of my guys want to be seen as a guy that doesn't have courage. So, you know, we've been blessed that it's been working thus far. We expect it to continue. Anything else? Audrey, uh, Brian Pullian mentioned the other day you helping out doing some more recruiting work in the state of Georgia. What's it been like to uh, get down in that state and see the talent they have there and being able to help out there? Uh, it's, been, it's, it's been fun. Uh, Georgia is very – you know what? They're, it's funny because I'm from Florida, and there's a lot of crossover anywhere between Florida and Georgia. People have relocated. But uh, it's been good, man. It's been really interesting, you know, uh, just different, you know, from the standpoint of, uh, you know, when, you, when you're born and raised in Florida, right, you, it's the belief that football was created here. You know, anywhere else, they do not play football on our level. So, you know, it's been humbling to see how good the talent is, is in Georgia and have to actually admit to it. So, uh, <laughs> no, but it's been fun. And recruiting is recruiting. It's relationships, you know. As long as people know you care and you are sincere and, you know, I give them the truth, man, and I allow them to choose. So that's, you know, that's universal. Actually, one more question about recruiting. Uh, you had a lot of success running the ball last year. You know, obviously you had a big offensive line award as well. Has that helped you out there? Have you noticed that, that you know, that's opened some eyes of some backs out there? You know what? Recruiting is recruiting, man. Like, I, I don't – I really haven't even thought about it. You know, when I'm going out, it's about looking at a young man for, you know, what he brings to the table and then trying to make sure that what we have and what we offer, you know, that it fits. I, feel, I spend very little time, you know, kind of thinking about what we did last year. Well, it uh, it certainly is the, the position to keep an eye on. And, and Todd, it's funny because we're talking about the lull of the recruiting season and how it's, you know, we thought last week. As the show is being recorded, Notre Dame just got another commit. Uh <laughs> T.J. Sheffield out of Independence High School in uh, Tennessee. He was going to go to Tennessee. Uh, he did. He was considering going there, but he's coming to Notre Dame. Uh, this just came across the wire as uh, we were listening to that uh, to that um, uh, a press conference. So uh, again, uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about him next week. He's 5'10", 170, wide receiver, the state's uh, ninth best prospect according mm, to 24/7 Sports, uh, and uh, he is uh, 236 overall, 39th wide receiver. So a commit uh, to the class of 2000. 19 so they got two wide receivers now uh in the span of a week i you know it's kind of funny rags i was just thinking during that interview you know what i should probably pull up my 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 google here and just keep an eye on <laughs> if there's going to be any more breaking news during this and and that's kind of funny you picked up on that good get yeah it's getting to be like mark zuckerberg at refresh refresh to see <laughs> right. if we have any more new friends here uh for 2019 so they've been very active again needed to translate to uh september to December. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Todd, another great job. Another one in the book. And the gang's all together. And it felt good, didn't it? 
That's it. It felt right, Rags. <laughs> All right, Todd and I will be back next week. The Blue Gold Report is brought to you by D.L. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. And, of course, when you find us, make sure you rate us and you share us with all your friends. We'll be back next week. The Blue Gold Report. Todd, we'll do it all over again. Sounds good, my friend. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.